the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast. We're the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm John. I'm Adam. And I'm Liam. Welcome, Liam. (laughs) Hey, buddy. Hey, guys. We finally got our step bro on. uh, And thank you so much for joining us for this album review. Uh, Tell us, what what does this album mean to you? Uh, Well, this, yeah, so so Pearl Jam have always been one of my favorite groups. And Versus is definitely my favorite album by them. Um, So I remember it even um, as as a young kid. I guess I would have been seven when it came out. Uh, and and since then I've always loved it and um, still love it. You know, I was listening to this past week uh, in prep for this section, and uh, like every song is just a masterpiece. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think it's a very quintessential grunge grunge album, very representative of the '90s, um, you know, early '90s music. Uh, and I feel it still, you know, still lives up after thirty odd years, ne- nearly thirty years. All right. So as you mentioned, we are going to be talking the Pearl Jam album versus Adam. What was your experience with this album? Um, honestly, I think I got this album ripped from Liam. Uh, there was a time in like in probably middle school or early high school where basically Liam burned a lot of CDs for me, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure the Pearl Jam discography was part of that, and so I'm quite certain. Uh, this was one of those, and so I did. I listened to grunge. Now, John, you're the one who introduced me to grunge in general, other than like MTV and shit, right? But, um, like I got into Pearl Jam through you and Ten, obviously, which is an album I absolutely love as well. Uh, and then you know you just see them around, but like I had this album because Liam burned it for me. <laughs> Okay. I remember. I remember that having a big stack of um, blank CDs and burning off all sorts of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Easy, easy so, little side gig for uh, <laughs> high school. High school guy. I don't think I charged uh, anything. I think it was pro- just uh, you know. We never said you were a, you're, you're a good yeah, businessman. Exactly. Yeah, you're not a good businessman, Liam. I'm still but not now. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, I still have a job to be honest. But. <laughs> yeah. um, one thing that I do want to say, Pearl Jam in general. Um, is just a, a favorite '90s band, or one of my favorite '90s mm-hmm. band. Um, I mean, things kind of changed throughout the years. Throughout the throughout the, like the um, throughout the '90s and whatnot, I would have been like, "Man, Pearl Jam is definitely my favorite grunge band." John, I remember you were like, "Soundgarden, without question, is my favorite grunge band." I would probably say throughout the years, over time, I've tended, I've ended up listening to more Soundgarden um, over the yeah, like more recently than I have Pearl Jam, but when I go back and listen to their music and go back and listen to Eddie Vedder's voice, I'm just like, fuck, they are good stuff. Um, absolutely love them. Uh, a little known fact, maybe it's not little, it's little, not little known in our family, um, but little known to everyone out there. And we'll keep it little known uh, is Liam and I were in a band together. And <laughs> very often we would, you know, we, I wouldn't say we would attempt Pearl Jam songs all that often. Cause we weren't very good as a band. <laughs> awful um but we would take breaks and then go down and like watch music videos or other stuff like that and pearl jam was a band that we would often uh listen to so (laughs) they were yeah music videos and um i think we might have had a live dvd or something we used to watch and uh 
yeah. kind of take inspiration from them. But uh, but yeah, needless to say, we weren't uh, up to their caliber. <laughs> <laughs> no, not quite. We were, yeah. Oh, we had fun. That's the main yes, thing. we did. You can look back nostalgically on it now. Exactly. Uh, and I, could, I can say I, I once smashed a guitar yes. in front of a live audience, which when I was 17 was my life's ambition. Uh, <laughs> since then, I've moved on to bigger things. But, uh, you know, I can look back on that. All right. So the album was released on October 19th, 1993. It was recorded mostly at a studio called The Site in Nicasio, California. Uh, interestingly enough, the band loved the place because it was in a very sort of peaceful area. Eddie Vedder did not like this place. Mm. He did not like this studio because it wasn't rock and roll enough for him. And it gave it actually made it hard for him to write his lyrics because he was so comfortable. <laughs> so at one point, he drove up to San Francisco and slept in his van for three days basically just to make it hard on him and then came back and finished writing the song. So apparently Vetter had a very hard time with this one because it took it, it, he got, he often would get a writer's block. Mm. So like they kind of wrote the songs as they, um, as they recorded them, um, which is a luxury only provided to bands after they've seen some success. Normally, you know, when you go in for your first album, they expect everything to be done. Most first albums are done pretty quickly. This one took a little bit longer because they had the luxury of being able to write songs and record them roughly at the same time, if that makes sense. Um, but for some reason, uh, Eddie Vedder, not a fan of the peaceful California countryside. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a very... Eddie Vader rock story. <laughs> Screw this. I'm going to go sleep in my van just to kind of yeah, exactly get my juices flowing. Uh, was released on Epic Records and was produced by the band and a name that we've talked about before, Brandon O'Brien, uh, who is well known for producing all kinds of bands uh, from that era. And before he did bands uh, like... ACDC, Stone Temple Pilots, Soundgarden, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Rage Against the Machine. He's also done some Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen. The man uh, is a very prolific producer. Uh, all right. Uh, before we get into it, um, one of the things I did want to mention that I did find interesting. So if, you know, gun to my head, I would have to say my favorite um, Pearl Jam song is probably Better Man. Okay. Which was not released on this album. It was released on the Vitality album, Vitality, which came out after this one. However, it was actually recorded during these sessions. Mm. Um, but Vetter didn't think that the song was accessible enough, so they did not include it uh, when they released this album. Interesting, yeah. So uh, before we get started on the songs, Adam... Hit me with some fun facts. Yeah. So uh, one interesting interesting thing, they had multiple singles on this album. I think it was four or five different songs were actual singles, but they didn't record any or do any music videos for these songs, uh, which at that time is pretty crazy because mm -hmm. music videos were still like probably at their peak popularity um, in the early 90s. Uh, upon its release... This album set the record for most copies sold for any record during its first week. And it held that record for five years until Garth Brooks's uh, Double Live album in 1998. Beat oh, that. What a classic. <laughs> some people, I, some people I, love it. 
I do remember that that album being a monster. Yes, Double Live was huge. Uh, it, it hit number one on the Billboard 200 charts. It was there for five weeks as well. I'm sure. Uh, uh, I can't remember what took it over. Um, and is overall certified seven times platinum. I believe 10 is their best-selling album. I think that one is 13 times platinum. I checked that out. Uh, but overall, I mean, seven times platinum's freaking huge. Uh, the cover art is a picture of a black and white goat, um, or the black and white picture of a goat, uh, which actually apparently Jeff Ament took that picture. And uh, apparently they thought it was fitting because they, apparently what the band said about it is uh, they felt like we were slaves, like goats or something like that. And so that was the the picture of the, you know, again, very rocker grunge thing to feel. And it was during this tour, the Versus tour, where Pearl Jam got outraged when they discovered after a pair of shows in Chicago uh, that Ticketmaster had added service charges and they eventually started up their big beef with Ticketmaster and they Mm -hmm. kind of um, boycotted them and obviously took them to court as a monopoly and all that kind of stuff. So um, it was thanks to the tour from this album that all that stuff happened. Um, One, I did actually forget to uh, list the personnel, so let's go over that. Um, On drums was Dave Abruzzese. Um, who actually joined the band uh, for the tour of 10. So I forget the name of the guy who actually recorded on 10, but he left the band before they actually toured Dave that album. Crusen, I want to say. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, and so uh, Abruzzese joined the band uh, for that tour and then was in the band for the recording of this album. I actually don't – I didn't look to see how long he was there. I know he's no longer with them because they've got uh, Matt Cameron from Soundgarden who's touring with them now. I think he even left, I think maybe even during this tour, maybe Vicology, and I think part of it was because of the Ticketmaster. I think mm. he didn't like that they were against Ticketmaster and that caused a riff. Uh, yeah. And then I think they got, I believe they got Chad Smith, who was also the drummer from the Red Hot Chili Peppers right. for a little bit. And then they got Matt Cameron, who's been their drummer for 20 odd years yeah. uh, from, from Soundgarden. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Ament. Uh, it was on bass guitar, and I will admit, uh, when I played in a band in high school, even though I didn't listen to Pearl Jam all that much, I kind of based my visual look on what Jeff Ament looked like because I liked I liked how he looked. I thought he looked cool uh, with the kind of the backwards cavi hat and shit, and so I did that a lot when we were playing. Uh, Stone Gossard is on rhythm guitar, Mike McCready on lead guitar, and of course Eddie Vedder on vocals. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the very first song, which is simply titled, Go! I will say I did like the raw energy on this one. I felt it was kind of good for an opener. And ultimately, I actually really like the sort of raw guitar sound they're doing for a lot of this album where it it feels more like you're sitting with them live in a garage or in a small, you know, uh, on a small stage or something like that where you feel you feel like you're like you're hearing that the stuff come out of the amps, not out of 
big giant speakers in an arena, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, it is a great a great starter, especially I like that it starts off not super loud, so you almost have to turn the volume up, and then about 10 seconds in, the first riffs hit <laughs> and it blows your eardrums out, and that's kind of a, a good way to start, start the album, because uh, it's definitely got some of the heaviest songs I know from Pearl Jam on it. Uh, and it, yeah, it's got amazing guitar work. Maybe the guitar solo on Go is is just an amazing guitar solo. Very, yeah. uh, very impressive by Mike McCready. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. This is actually a really strong start to the album. Um, it moves. You're right. You said the words raw. You feel the anger. Um, just it feels '90s. It feels '90s grunge. Like this <laughs> song just works really well, and it works well as a starter. Um, you know, for a rock album, for a Pearl Jam album. Uh, it peaked at number three on the Billboard album rock charts, and it received a Grammy nomination for best hard rock performance at the 1995 Grammy Awards. So, oh wow, pretty solid, that. cool. Yeah, um, and apparently Eddie Vedder kind of said it was kind told at least told uh, a bruises. I'm not sure how you pronounce the drummer's name. I, that's how I've been doing it, a bruises. But uh, he had said that it was about his pickup truck. And but you kind of look into the lyrics and it looks like there may actually be more darker side about abuse, which apparently Eddie Vedder dealt with um, both verbal and sexual abuse as a child and stuff. So um, there's something about that. But he, he has kind of said it's about, oh, it's about a pickup truck, but there there's probably more to it. All right, cool. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the next song, which is called Animal. Immediately, at the very beginning of this, I, I kind of had the reaction of, okay, this is the Pearl Jam I'm used to. Uh, the first one felt a little bit different because it was it had a little bit more intensity, but immediately with that kind of cool little guitar lick at the beginning, I was like, all right, so this sounds a little bit more like 10. Yeah, I definitely see it. Yeah, like kind of like even flow. It's got that similar feel of, yeah, that kind of yeah. that cool kind of funky riff. Overall, for me... I found it to be an okay song, uh, but nothing nothing in it really grabbed me personally. I uh, no, I, I I mean I like it. I mean I will say I'm probably gonna say I like every song, so I'm I'm a <laughs> you know a bit biased uh, just just to get that out there. But uh, no, I do I like the, the lyrics. I think in the in the album artwork, there's a picture of a hand that says like five against one on the hand and then i guess it's it's but it, but I, I don't know if in adam maybe you've got the facts of is it about the band against you know critics or censors or something it's 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 five against one um but um yeah but no, i think it's a good song it's 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 very frequent on their on their live um live tracks it's usually one of like the first five songs they play like at the audience you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and dancing or whatever so, yeah. but no, i definitely agree that it feels kind of like classic Ken Pearl Jam in this song this album, but it definitely you can definitely see the connection. Yeah, I, I like this one. I, I think it's um maybe even an underrated Pearl Jam one that kind of gets forgotten about amongst all their other bigger hits. Uh but I I definitely like it. It hit number twenty one on the mainstream rock charts. Um it, it continues, yeah, some anger and some motion, but yeah, it has a little bit more of that uh, feel from the last album, but I, which I very much like. So I don't have the facts because I haven't seen, or I haven't read if Eddie Vedder like officially said what it's about. But 
most fans either speculate it's basically against the media, uh, as you kind of alluded to. Other people take it a little bit more in a different turn and think it's about gang rape, um, five against one and stuff like that. So it's, uh, I guess, up to interpretation. Ooh. Like like most good poetry and art. Plus, sometimes it's really hard to understand what the hell Eddie Vedder is saying. <laughs> at times, yes, at times it is. And he forgets a lot of the lyrics and just it's, puts the microphone very close mumbles. up and mumbles. That's how. You, if you, if you want to sound like Eddie Vedder, you can just do that. Um, you know, I, if if '90s grunge taught us anything, is that you really don't have to even understand what the hell is being said, as long as the song is catchy and the melody works. It really doesn't even matter what the actual words are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look at some of the lyrics from like Nirvana, it's like, I, like yeah, <laughs> what what that's about. But it's a catchy song, and everyone loves it. Yeah. So, you know. Exactly. But I wouldn't I wouldn't put Kurt Cobain up there with Bob Dylan or Elvis Costello or something. Right. <laughs> Half the time you're torn between trying to decide if it was had a really deep meaning or if it was actually just nonsense. Which I totally have, is a grunge thing to do, just to fuck with people. Absolutely. <laughs> I have heard the story, actually, that smells like teen spirit. Somebody wrote that on the wall of Kurt Cobain's house, and he thought right. they meant it was that he smelled like like rebellion or like, you know, uh, angst and all this. In reality, it was the brand of deodorant called teen yes. spirit. And that's what he smelled like. So I, if, if yeah. that's apocryphal or not, I don't know. But I like that story in any case. Uh, cool. All right. Well, let's move on to the next one, which is probably the best known song off of the album called Daughter. So admittedly, going into listening to this, I kind of just glazed over the titles of all the songs, and I'm like, oh, Daughter's going to be the only song on this album that I recognize. I will say, I was actually pleasantly surprised that I was wrong. It was not the only song that I recognized, but uh, this is definitely the one that I remember getting the most radio uh, airplay. Um, I didn't, like I said, I didn't really follow... Um, Pearl Jam too much. I actually didn't get their album 10 until probably after Vitalogy had come out. Mm. So it had been a while since, uh, before I got the album. Um, in fact, I remember somebody gave it to me as a birthday present. So one of my friends at school. Um, and it was roughly like my junior year of high school, which was well after that album came out. Um, but I definitely remember Daughter being on the radio. And I really like the song. I, I like the acoustic guitar in the background because I think it changes up their sound a little bit. Um, I don't know really what the hell the song is about because I've never really bothered to deep dive into his lyrics in this one. But I will say, honestly, it's my favorite song on this album, um, mostly just because I know it better than the rest of them. But I really like the sound on it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a nice um, counter to the first two because it's much softer. And yeah, as you said, you got mm. the acoustic guitars. Um, and it almost, it's, it's one of those songs where you can actually hear the lyrics because it's not any better mumbling towards the mic. It's kind of a bit more <laughs> of a 
or something. I did always like that. I, I do remember actually seeing a performance of it on uh, SNL. So I think Pearl Jam performed SNL. Um, and I think it was in early 94 because it was right after Kurt Cobain died. And mm-hmm. they played this song and then Eddie Vedder had a shirt with a K on it. And he kind of like, you know, you know, put his hand on his heart or whatever to kind of say in, in on uh, Kurt Cobain. So, but, uh, but, you know, it's a good, it's a good song. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's common in their live shows. They, they play it and then they often shift into lyrics from another song. So I remember having a live version where they started singing another brick in the wall part two by um, oh. Floyd. Uh, and I always oh. thought that was so cool. So then, you know, and, and, and they do things where they, they make, you know, position into, um, you know, something else, whether it be REM or something. Mm. But yeah, no, good, good song. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say this is um, a top tier Pearl Jam song. I mean, it's probably would make my top 20. I don't know. I think for a lot of people out there, it'd probably make their top 10. Um, and yeah, it's, a, it's got a great solo in the song that kind of pierces through, especially because it's all acoustic. And then this electric guitar comes in and you can just hear it on top so easily. Yeah. Um, it uh, received a nomination for the best rock performance by a uh, duo or group with vocals at the 1995 Grammys. And uh, it hit number one on both the mainstream rock and alternative rock charts uh, and the 33 on the Billboard Hot 100 Airplay charts. So it was by far their highest charting one for this album. Mm. Um, And uh, according to Vetter, what he said, the song is about it's about a child. um, It has a learning disability. And it's only in the last few years, he says, it's only in the last few years that they've been actually to diagnose these kind of things. Um, But before it was thought of as misbehavior. And so people are specifically calling out thinking that it's about like dyslexia. This kid can't do it. And so this kid can't, you know, having some issues. And so back in the day, they would just be beaten um, and or, you know, thought of that they, you know, just you just need to focus more. And so like there's um, the lines the shades go down. I think it was, I think that was it. And that's basically, you're going to hide the shades when you hit the kid and abuse and whatnot to try and, you know, okay. beat the learning disability out of them. Now we know more about that, but this is kind of what, how his thought or I guess his memory of that kind of thing happens. Mm. So, mm. but yeah. All right. Well, let's go on to the next one, which is called glorified G. So I have I have um, one good thing to say about the song, one bad thing to say about the song. Uh, one, I loved the raw sound of the guitar towards the beginning of this. I really like um, what uh, Stone Gossard and Mike McCready did with the music for this one. I really got into it. What I did not like were the lyrics. Not not the meaning of the lyrics, just the actual words he chose to use. It didn't feel natural to me. It didn't feel. I just didn't. It didn't jive with me. If that makes any sense, the act, the the lyrics just didn't didn't work. 
Yeah, I, I would definitely agree uh, that the riff, that opening riff, um, I think is is a great riff. It's a great, very, very catchy in that. Uh, and funny enough, actually, I, I love the lyrics to this one. I think um, they're very, um, I mean, I suppose they're very, uh, you know, I don't know, fitting, you know, because it's all about, you know, gun violence and, and all of that, which I think, you know, Pearl Jam are very, um, I suppose, anti-second amendments um yeah so i think i think the lyrics um are um uh i mean i suppose they're very one um one tracked if you will but um but i like some of the lyrics like uh, i got a gun in fact i got two that's okay man because i love god you know it's it's that kind of <laughs> it's um you know so uh yeah but i i, I do it's it's I, I think it's a good song i think it's definitely but i think my favorite part is probably that opening guitar riff i think it's it's um mm -hmm very catchy very um you know the second you hear that you know what the song is yeah uh, as liam already brought up it's, it's and both of y'all guys brought up um it's very much a critique on that american obsession and love of guns and yeah that, those opening lyrics you know got a gun in fact i got two <laughs> that's okay man because i love god uh feel so manly when armed um it's basically like the, the next lines uh and so apparently it happened from uh an incident uh where the drummer Dave Abruzzi's told the band that he just bought two guns. Uh, he basically said those lines, said that, you know, to, to, oh, I bought a gun. And they're like, and Eddie Vedder was like, what? Yeah, I, in fact, I got two. <laughs> and then Eddie turned that into a song because he's very anti-guns. Obviously, I'm guessing Dave Abruzzi's is not. Um, so, yeah, it, it is interesting. I think it's a decent song. I don't think it's a great song. It's kind of gotten forgotten over time for me. Um it actually hit uh, the reach number 39 on the Billboard mainstream rock charts without even being released as a single. Mm. Uh, and so people still ended up liking it and getting like some play on it. Um, but it, I one thing, not to get too political on stuff, uh, Liam, you lived in America for a long time, but you are a Canadian and an Irish citizen, and you're living in London, in England, not yeah. London anymore. But you're so you're you are a worldly man. You lived in France as well, um, and you've lived in all of those other countries that I've mentioned between Ireland and Canada and U.S. and whatnot. Yeah. So, um, I mean, for the U.S., it is a very it feels like a, a natural thing, like you know, guns is part of society now. But there's pushback with that. How does the world view it? How does England, you know, is it? Uh, anyone I've spoken to here, I mean, not that I, you know, bring it up, uh, you know, around, no. around the pubs, whatever, but I think most people don't understand why Americans are obsessed with guns. I think like any English person I've met, they've just said like, why, why do Americans obsess? With, I mean, even like police officers in England don't have guns. Uh, unless they're like special, you know, mm -hmm. I can't remember. Some of them do, but like your average police officer on the street have a gun um and um yeah so i think it's one. and i mean it's one of those things i i mean i i guess yeah this isn't a political show but i i've got you know i i suppose i can see both sides that i i've never owned a gun but i understand why it's maybe a thing in america but i think the rest of the world uh it's one of those things they don't understand yeah well, let's let's not get too political we <laughs> want to talk pearl jam but they are a political band they a lot yeah. of their lyrics that that is brought up so Yep. Yeah, and even especially early on, I mean, even even nowadays, like, I think they are quite political, but I think quite early on, um, they were known for being controversial at times. Like, I think um, maybe on one of the MTV performances, um, I think Eddie Vedder wrote, like, pro-choice on his arm. That was the unplugged one, I believe. That was it, MTV yeah. Unplugged. yeah. 
and uh, and even I think like there are like the Bush, um, you know, the the Bush era, they were very anti-Bush, and and um, uh, I think they even got booed off stage in I want to say in like North Carolina maybe because they were making all these anti-Bush, anti-Republican, and the audience was largely Republican and basically booed them off stage. So then for a long time they refused to play the South because you know they they. Uh, you know, they, they didn't want to have to put up with that. But yeah, so so they're very politically active. Um, I, even like I follow them on Facebook and they're, you know, some stuff about, you know, whatever they view. But I'd say definitely on the, mm-hmm. on the left, left-wing left side of things. All right, cool. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the next song, which I will admit was when I started to realize, oh yeah, there's more songs on here that I've definitely heard before. Uh, and it is called Dissident. So I really like this song. I love that they hit you right in the face at the beginning with that really cool sort of guitar solo-esque lick, uh, just kind of like a little riff that they've got going on. Um, I, I like the kind of up and down where it kind of really dives, it, it really kind of dips down for the for the verses. It feels like it's slowing down when it's not actually slowing down, um, but I just I really like the, the energy yeah definitely again like a great uh i agree definitely great opening riff uh really strong really catchy and some i think really good solos in that one as well um so it's definitely some good um work and and as you said as well it goes up and down it's kind of got some soft melodies and mm-hmm. heavier um heavier chorus and that so yeah no solid solid song yeah i i've always really enjoyed this one uh it peaked at number three on the um album rock charts uh, according to Vetter, Dissident is about a woman who secretly shelters a refugee, but eventually turns him into the authorities because she cannot support him any longer, uh, leading her to feeling guilty about her decisions. Uh, interesting. Pretty interesting mm-hmm. stuff. Um, what I liked about this one uh, is exactly kind of that that whole story. It's the storytelling. I got mm-hmm. a vibe from this song that you're you're going on a journey with Vetter's lyrics, yeah. and I always like that better. Um you know, then then some of the other ones or even say, you know, like uh, like glorified G, it's just a lot of repetition and it's fine. This one you are taken on. Exactly. You're taken on an entire journey. Like like I'll throw it back to, to Jeremy. Jeremy, you are taken on an entire journey with that song. And mm-hmm. I feel this one does a similar vibe. And I actually really like that about it. Yeah, very true. Yeah. And, and very much, as you said, compared to glorify G, that's just kind of like a couple. It's almost like bumper stickers. This one, yes. as you said, it's like it's like a proper narrative. Yeah. Mm hmm. All right, cool. All right, well, I guess let's move on to the next song, which hopefully Adam will tell me what the meaning of this was, called WMA. Thank you. 
So for me, as a song on the whole, it didn't really go anywhere for me. Um, it's just kind of just kind of continuous. I do like the opening drum lick. Of course, I'm a drummer, so I'm going to be partial to that sort of thing. Um, but it it did it sounded like it was just a little too repetitive. Like it just I felt like I was just listening to the lick, the same lick over and over and over again. So, but for me, this one's probably bottom tier. Yeah, I I, I find it's it's a very different song uh, on this album, or even from Pearl Jam as a whole. It's one of those songs that you don't really know what the genre, you know, because obviously you know Pearl Jam generally considered a grunge band or you know rock mm-hmm. band. This song, I don't really know what genre I'd put it in if it were just a standalone song. Uh, and that is one thing that I do quite like about, about Pearl Jam. They make me think of bands like The Clash, Talking Heads, that try out all sorts of different genres and styles and just kind of bundle together versus like the Ramones were like, you have one Ramones album, you have them all, and basically just sound <laughs> the same. <laughs> I like the Ramones, but you know they're not really evolving or growing as a band. Um, whereas I think Pearl Jam definitely would try to kind of you know push the envelope um, to use the expression. And, and I think this is one of those um, one of those songs where where they do it. Um, so yeah, it's quite funky. It's I think I like it because it's different. But if all of the songs sounded like this, I probably wouldn't be a Pearl Jam fan. Yeah, exactly. That that tribal drum. I mean, uh, Bruzies is uh, credited as a writer on this one, and I think obviously it's maybe that's partly because this is his first time with the band, and maybe he's just got a little different feel. But I do it's, for all the reasons Liam already mentioned. Pearl Jam, they kind of don't, they don't shy away from two things, which is politically driven lyrics and musical experimentation. And so you kind of really get that experimentation with this one, which I respect. I agree. If, if, if every song was like this one, they wouldn't be a top level band for me like they have become. Um, so w, WMA stands for white male American. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the song is about racism. So basically okay. uh, what's allegedly uh, Eddie Vedder or that happened to Eddie, Eddie was in the street talking to one of his friends. His friend happened to be black. A cop showed up and started harassing them. Not really them, just his friend, completely ignoring Eddie. And so um, that kind of drove him to write this song. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the next one called Blood. The song on the whole was just kind of eh for me, but there's a couple of things I really, really like about it. First of all, I love the energy out of the gate. I love the riff going into it at the beginning. Um, I, it sets a really good tone for the rest of the, the rest of the song. Other thing I like, I like the tone of Eddie's voice on this. It almost sounds a little um, Soundgarden-esque. Uh, a little bit. He's really kind of growling a lot in, in in certain spots in this one, and that I really, I really like the song as a whole. As I mentioned, eh, it's kind of middle of the road, um, but the two sort of aural aspects of it, I really enjoyed. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, this one's definitely like a punch in the face. Um, it it you know counters go. You start the album with go, and then you have this one which is super loud, super in your face. And yeah, I really like the the vocals on it. I would agree it, it's very similar to, to Soundgarden who who were, you know, good friends with Pearl Jam. They um, uh, actually, I'm, I'm sure many people might know, but um, 
uh, Eddie Vedder and Chris Cornell played together on a band called Temple of the Dog, which effectively mm-hmm. was a mix of Soundgarden and um, um, Pearl Jam, pre-Pearl Jam, basically what became Pearl Jam. And it left mm-hmm. information Pearl Jam in that, but and you can you can hear similarities in the voices. I, I'd say Chris Cornell definitely can can he's got a stronger range and he can hit mm-hmm. those higher notes higher than Eddie Vedder can. But yeah. you can see that they have a similar style of and and sometimes as well. And I think this this is one of those songs where Eddie Vedder really um really tests his vocal cords and probably abuses them better bit, which yeah. I'm sure they probably can't play it every night of the tour because he'd be uh, <laughs> deaf or he'd be mute after a while. But uh, yeah, so but it is it is a um a definitely a strong uh heavy song, but I think one of the heaviest ones in their catalog. Yeah, you get the anger. Not a favorite on the album, honestly, for me either. Uh, but the song itself is very anti-media. Uh, al- the lyrics alluding to certain mag- magazines that pretty much pissed him off. Um, the lyrics being spin me around, spin magazine, roll me over, maybe Rolling Stone, and fucking circus for circus magazine. All of those uh, would ones that would talk about Eddie Vedder. Apparently, at one point, Eddie Vedder, it just said he, he started hating to see himself in the magazines and stuff like that because yeah well documented his uh, hatred of the media <laughs> so and just kind of how i feel like they fucked him over and it's all bullshit and he wants to be real all right well I'll go ahead and move on to the next song called in one word river mirror or rear view mirror <laughs> So when I first heard this, I actually had a vague recollection of maybe hearing this on on the radio, um, maybe on an indie channel or something like that. I don't think it was released as a single. Uh, no, I don't believe so. Yeah, um, I like that. I kind I like dig that opening lick. The da 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 It's just a fun, you know, upbeat little lick. Um, so I, I don't really have too much to add to that because those were like the things I really kind of focused on when I was listening to it. But overall, I would say it was an enjoyable song. Yeah, this this is my all-time favorite Pearl Jam song. I absolutely Ooh. love this song. Um, I love that opening riff. Uh, and I find, yeah, the lyrics are really good. It's I think it's it's probably one of the best breakup songs I can think of in, in rock music. Um, the only other one I, I put up there is The Clash, Train in Vain. Um, and that's a very different one. This is a very, Rear View Mirror is a very celebratory uh you know the, at least my understanding of the song is it's all um you know you're you're in an abusive relationship you get out of it and then things look better in the rear view mirror i you know mm-hmm. fuck off i'm driving off to, to somewhere else and leaving <laughs> you behind is is my understanding of, of, of what the lyrics are but uh yeah absolutely love it i remember the first time i saw pearl jam live uh, which was in atlanta in 2000 during the binaural tour and they played it as the last song of their main set. And it was like the one song I wanted to hear. And they played it right before the encore. And I was just like over the moon, little like 13-year-old me, like jumping around the arena going crazy because they played it. So, uh, yeah, so it's my, my all-time favorite song. Love the riff, love the lyrics. Which is, yeah, that's so awesome because like Pearl Jam has such a deep catalog uh, that when you go to one of their live albums or their one of their live uh, concerts, it, there's no guarantee they're going to play your song. Right. Like the song you want 
no way. It's not, it's not a guarantee at all, you know? Um, and so I think that's awesome that they did it and they ended with that one. So yeah, this is a song I've heard plenty of times before. Yeah. Not a single, but, um, it's, it's just a strong, strong song for me. I really dig it. Uh, Liam already talked about what it's about. Um, what, one of the things like just auditorially that I like about the song is I feel like maybe they mixed Eddie up a little bit or just the other stuff wasn't as hard. So it, it didn't feel like he was as muddled, like his vocals, I think come through a little bit stronger on this mm-hmm. track. And I like that a lot. Um, I mean, it's also interesting, not a single, but they named their greatest hits album. They named rear view mirror. Like <laughs> this is obviously one that they liked a lot. Cool. I think it's pretty cool. I, I'm I'm definitely a fan of this song. Mm. I remember they played it on the SNL as well. The one I I alluded to earlier with uh, with daughter. Okay. They played this one um, as as one of the songs, even though it wasn't a, it wasn't a single. So I think it's just mm-hmm. that they really like. And yeah, I think they played a lot of times on on tour. So I I will say this: the one thing I will give SNL is that they give their musical guests two chances to play, and that does give the band to one play the hit that they know everyone's going to want to hear. And then also play something else. And it doesn't have to be a radio hit. And it could be a deeper cut. And, and I do appreciate that about SNL. Because any other talk show or anything like that where a band is going to go on, they get, they're get going to play one song. It's going to be the big radio hit is, you know, or, or whatever it is they're trying to promote. So mm-hmm. at least with SNL, you're, you're going to get two chances to, to hit something that, that someone likes. Uh, all right. Well, let's go ahead and move on. We're kind of coming down to the uh, final stretch here. On to the next song called Rats. They don't eat, don't sleep, they don't feed, they don't see. They're the gums when they moan and squeak. Lift the dirt off a larger one's feet. They don't push, don't crowd. Congregate until they're much too loud. Fuck to procreate till they are dead. Drink the blood of this called this bread. All right, so interesting song, kind of funky, you know, a, a little bit different style. Added some uh, some sort of you know some jazz, a little bit uh, elements to it. Uh, it was, the music was written by the bass player, and you can kind of tell that with that kind of little opening riff. Um, so I can appreciate it. Maybe middle of the road for me. It was it was fun to listen to. I don't know that it was it would be one that I go back and seek out again, but it was rather enjoyable. Yeah, I'd say it's maybe similar to that uh, WMA that I like because it's different. But mm-hmm. it, yeah, again, if it was a whole album of all this, I'd probably just rather listen to like Run Up to the Efforts or something who aren't even in, they're not one of my top bands anyway. But um, um, yeah, so it's, it, it is, and even like the lyrics, the lyrics are kind of fun, but effectively the lyrics are just about rats and what rats <laughs> do. And so it's it's, it almost feels a bit of a, one of those songs where they thought, "Hey, wouldn't it be laugh if we just did this?" Oh yeah, let's let's just do it, guys. You know, because they were, you know, had a few drinks or smoking joints or something, and thought it'd be a laugh. Like, and that's what I kind of feel. You know, there's there's not really a deeper. You know, may, maybe the internet says there is a deeper meaning, but I think it's kind of just a fun comedic song that they put on the album, uh, and that's kind of what it is. There's there's no deeper life lessons to be gained from this. Cool. It's very possible the internet does say a little bit deeper, <laughs> um, but basically all they're saying is yes, he's I mean, he's kind of talking 
uh, sarcastically or about like rats and some of like their what they do and that they're, they're kind of almost like mocking them for being civilized with stuff. Uh, internet takes it as it's basically saying that yeah, humans are just as good as rats. We're just we're all just a bunch of rats. So um, yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of uh, with with y'all middle of the road. I don't dislike it, but you know it's not one I'm gonna be screaming for at a concert. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, well, we'll go ahead and move on to the next song, which was uh, written entirely by Eddie Vedder and has the most Eddie Vedder title of any song I think I've ever seen before. And it's called Elderly Woman Behind the Counter in a Small Town. All these changes take place. I wish I'd seen the place, but no one's ever taken. So this was another one that hit me where as soon as it started, I'm like, oh, I totally know this song. Um, That one got tons of uh, radio play despite not being released as a single. Um, But I definitely have heard that song many, many times before on the radio, on movies, on all kinds of things. Um, A change from the norm. It's mostly just Eddie Vedder with acoustic guitar. The band does kind of come in in other parts. But I do like the change of pace. I like the change of of tone and sound with the acoustic guitar. Um, Eddie's voice, the timbre of his voice works really well for this song. Honestly, I when I listen to this song, I barely even listen to what he's saying in the lyrics. I'm mostly just listening to what he's singing. It's very zen almost. He's because he's hitting a lot of lower notes. Um and it it I don't know, it just kind of it's going to sound weird. It vibrates different. It feels different coming out of the speakers when he when he sings in that sort of the lower register a little bit. And I really really like that. Yeah, I'd agree. I think it's a, it's a fantastic song. Um, yeah, the the singing is just phenomenal in it. Um, really cool lyrics. It's kind of one of those. It, it tells a bit of a story, but very much a sing along, sing along song. Um, I actually, I got. I think I've heard Pearl Jam do it, but I saw Eddie Vedder play in London a few years ago as the opening act for the Who, uh, namely huh. Arena, which was a pretty wild gig to go to. My wife and I went, and, and this was one of the one one of the songs that he sang um, as a soloist. Uh, which was just for all you know, the whole the whole place was singing along, or at least the people that knew who he was. I think a lot of people knew just who, but uh, but yeah. So I, I love this song. When I was listening to it a couple days back, I was walking through my neighborhood and just singing out my lungs, probably freaking out my new neighbors, uh, <laughs> singing along to this. But it's it's a it's a beautiful song. So. Yep, I agree with everything y'all said. Um, it uh, it did hit uh, number seventeen on the modern rock charts and number twenty three on the mainstream rock charts. You're right, all without being released as a single, so it does get enough play. I've heard it plenty of times over the years, and I think it's a yeah, great song. Um, doesn't it's more. You get a lot of you get some anger on this album, but here's like some of that reflectiveness, and I feel mm-hmm. like this is a very reflective song and a kind of telling a story about this woman who's stuck in a small town. That kind of vibe, um, and. I, I love it. I think it's an absolutely wonderful song. Yeah, all, we all seem to be in agreement. This, this is a great one. All right, cool. Well, let's go ahead and hit the penultimate song called Leash. Come on, 
So again, this one hit me kind of like Animal did, where I'm like, okay, there's that ten Pearl Jam that uh, that I know. Um, I found the song to be to be good. Um, nothing, there was nothing that gripped me from it. Kind of like Animal, actually, where I'm like, okay, it's got the sound that I recognize from Ten, but it it didn't quite have the um, the grip that songs like um, like Black or even Flow had off of Ten. So, you know, it's more of to me felt like more of a throwback to their uh, older stuff. Possibly even those two songs could have been ones that were written from around the time that they did Ten, and maybe just didn't make that album and got pushed to this one, which is entirely possible. Um, but I found it to be a very listenable song. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a good theory that maybe it was written around the 10 era because this feels very classic grunge of, you know, it's angsty and, hey, we're a bunch of, you know, teenagers fed up with society and all of this. So, uh, but I, I do like it. I think it's one of those songs that I don't, I don't remember it when maybe I first started listening to the album. But then I think when maybe when I was in high school or something, I kind of like discovered it, you know, I think that'd mm-hmm. be okay. Sometimes, you know, you're listening to an album, you've listened to a lot and you come across a song and you, you have like a bit of a, not an epiphany, but you're like, Oh, well, it's a great song. This song. I remember that. Like I remember kind of at some point in my life saying, Oh, I love this song, man. It's, it's great. You know, whereas <laughs> when I think when I was younger, I'd always be like, probably I'd listen to rear view mirror and then maybe put it off because that was the best song. But this one, I, I kind right. of feel like I came to it later and, and really liked it, but, uh, but yeah, but it feels very kind of early classic grungy, um, you know, so it's kind of the opposite of even the last song that we said is a bit more mature. You know, this one is very mm-hmm. much just kind of, you know, drop the leash, get out of my fucking face. Like it's kind of, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's as angsty as you can get for like a pissed off 14 year old. Right. That. Yep. Yeah. It, Liam's already kind of nailed all my color commentary. Teen angst, uh, young adult angst, drop the leash, we are young, get out of my fucking face. Obviously, that's just a scream they're feeling either held down by their parents or maybe, again, towards the media or just whatever, you know, the older generation, stuff like that. Um, What I want to bring up on this one is, yeah, obviously, the energy is kind of raised up. But in this album, and I'll kind of just at least mention it already, John, you know I love... When it's not just, all right, we're hitting the same tempo across the entire album. Right. Um, you know, there has to be some kind of like a roller coastery feel, a move to it. And this album does a great job of that, uh, where you're getting some, all right, here, let's tone it down a little bit. And then we're going to fuck you in your face. And then we're going to, all right, let's, let's be a little bit more reflective. And then fuck you in your face again. Um, <laughs> so, like, this is, this is solid. And, and I think their placement of these songs, I think, are pretty much top tier. Cool. I always wonder... Um, on every album, who came up with the order? Because I think sometimes it's sometimes it could be the band, sometimes it could be the producer. Actually, sometimes it could actually be the mastering engineer. Sometimes the mastering engineer is the one who decides uh, what order sounds best to them. Um, so I I think more often than not, it's going to be the producer who's going to have final say on that. Um, which in some cases is the band, so they're also going to do that. And so it, it, it's you know it's a question that I'm I'm could probably research, but would take way more time than I would want to spend finding out a simple question like uh, who decided on the order. Um, and honestly, if you ask the band, they may not even remember. You know, it was so long ago that may because I'm sure to some bands it seems like a trivial thing, um, especially if you is- decide to go ahead. 
Go ahead. No, I was going to say it, it is an interesting question because even, I mean, even if you think of earlier music when you had finals and you had two opening tracks, two closing tracks, um, which I think Pearl Jam, they, they've always been really big fans of vinyl because even like on Vitology, they have a song, Spin the Black Circle, which is all about just vinyl records. Mm-hmm. And so Pearl Jam, you can see where it's almost like there's the beginning and the end of each side. So even though it's a CD and it's one full full blow, if you will, mm-hmm. you, if you kind of read, like I think on this one versus, I believe Blood is the end of part one, or like side one rather, and then mm-hmm. Rearview Mirror starts side two. Um, and But but it is interesting that, that kind of way of how you structure it. But I do always like that when an album feels like they've thought about how they put it, they didn't just chuck 10 songs together and say, there you go, have it. Right. But, uh, and I, but it would be an interesting research question to, uh, you know, give yeah. it to some PhD student somewhere and let them do on that for three four years. <laughs> <laughs> and I do remember, Adam, when we had uh, Lauren on for misinformation, we talked um, Peter Gabriel's Go. The order so. of some of the songs actually depended upon the space. What? Oh, yeah. I said uh, You said Go. It's Peter Gabriel's So. So. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> so close enough. Um, I, I, I happen to be looking at the word go from the track yeah. list. Um, the order actually depended upon the space on the actual vinyl because there was a yeah. song that he wanted to be last, but it couldn't be last because they couldn't make it fit, um, except for on the CD. So if you get the CD, yes. it's in the right order or the order yeah. that Gabriel wanted it in. But on the vinyl, exactly. it was in the wrong order because they couldn't actually make the song fit the space. And that's why CDs and digital is better than vinyl, and I will die on that hill. <laughs> I, I agree. I've never been a big vinyl. You know, when people say, oh, man, it sounds more accurate. It's like, no. well, no, just build build a time machine, go back to the studio with Miles Davis and listen to it in person. It, Otherwise, shut it, up. Live, yeah. live, you're right. Live is the, oh, is the way it's supposed to sound. Live, that's it. Right. Besides that, that the little scratches, no, fuck that. Yeah. Get yeah. digital. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. I, for a long time, I was very... Uh, anti mp3 because i had like about a thousand cds when i was in high school right. I remember saying like no man i'm never going to give my cds uh and then when i decided to move to europe suddenly i realized schlepping a thousand cds over the atlantic <laughs> doesn't make sense and i kind of gave and now i'm just uh you know now i'm all you know mp3 and yeah, yeah. I, it's all chaotically between my phone my laptop i've got an external hard drive i never know where any of my music actually is but um but yeah vinyl yeah I could care less about vinyl, to be honest. <laughs> they look cool. I mean, they do look they cool. Do, they look great. But yeah. <laughs> whatever, you know. Well, I will say what album, what um, what vinyl has going for it is album art. Is the space that you have to create really cool album art because it's a big medium and you need some really cool stuff to fill that space. And I don't think I don't think album art. Um, uh, has ever been as good as it did when vinyl was the biggest. Because um, sure. I mean, you kind of have, you kind of can say that for CDs, but the CDs wasn't the CD wasn't big enough, so the the detail didn't need to it didn't need to be as detailed. Um, which is why I think a lot of those older albums have so much going on because there's a lot of space to fill. If that makes sense. No, it's true. Like Sgt. Pepper's has got like a great, you know, <laughs> yeah, great picture in that. Yeah, and it definitely fit the same on the CD. But I did always like the CDs that you could pull the booklet out. You know, I liked right. when a band had a proper booklet of like, you know, 15, 16 pages of lyrics and yeah. pictures of the band and all of this, um, which I guess on a vinyl, I mean, I suppose you could do that on a vinyl, but it'd just be a bit bigger and clunkier and that's so. Yeah. Right. But I suppose it's, so. you know, to each their own, you know, you can probably- Yep. 
pros and cons to everything. I, I would agree with you, Adam, that yeah, digital is cool. So <laughs> yeah. Ones Easy. and zeros, man. Ones and zeros. Yeah. So that's that's our world. We're all made up of that. It's the matrix. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well let's uh let's finish this out with the last song on the album called Indifference. So I won't be alone Watch as she lies silent For soon that will be gone Oh, I will stand arms outstretched Pretend I'm free to roam Oh, I will make my way Through one more day I will say, uh, this sounds like a final song on an album. Yeah, uh, absolutely. We've Adam and I have often talked about, um, you know, whether an album ends up or ends down. Um, both work. It just depends on, I think, on the song you pick. In this case, I think this song really works for the end of the album. Um, I really enjoyed listening to this song. I kind of zoned out and I feel like that's the kind of thing you're supposed to do when you listen to a song like this is it's just meant to, it's like a meditation song almost. It's meant to just kind of zone out and let the music kind of hit you and you can listen to the lyrics or not, and you can listen to what's going on or not. And it's just kind of, it's meant to be there. Um, and so that for that, I appreciated how they ended the album. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I think I can appreciate this song um it's and it's a very interesting end to the album and i think there's a side of me that wishes they would have ended with like a super heavy because to be honest the heavier songs are probably my the ones i prefer on the album Mm -hmm. but if you only had heavy songs then you wouldn't appreciate the you wouldn't even appreciate the heavy ones and so i do think it is it is a good way to end it um even if it's i guess it's maybe one of those songs if i have to be in the right mood for it if i'm in the mood for it it's a really beautiful song. It's got great lyrics. And it's, as you said, it's very meditative. You can kind of just zone out to it. Um, whereas if I'm in a bit more of like an upbeat, you know, you listen to Leech and you listen to Rearview Mirror and you're kind of like blood pumping. And then you have this one. Um, I might sometimes like cut it off there if I'm not in that kind of, you know, if I'm like mm-hmm. walking or, you know, in transport or something. But uh, but in, in the right space, I think it's a, it's a beautiful song. And it's a very nice kind of end and come down to um, mm-hmm. a very up and down. Yeah. I, at first when I, the first time I it was listening to it, I was like, Oh wow, that's a real slowdown from um, kind of what we were having. But the longer the song went on, the more I got into it and I got into the feel of it. And I just ended up really liking how it ended us off um, for the album. So yeah, um, it worked out really, really well for me. All right, well, let's kind of roll into our final thoughts. I'll, I'm the one with the least amount of experience with this album, so I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and say my piece. Um, I will say I was I was pleasantly surprised, but I shouldn't have been. I, I did uh, love the album 10, so I shouldn't have been that surprised to love so much stuff on this one. I was surprised at how many songs I actually recognized past Daughter, um, obviously recognized Dissonant, River Mirror, and there was a lot of these smaller ones that if they came in, like if I was just, if I was in a Pearl Jam mood and just put it on, 
uh, you know, on shuffle or something like that, and some of these songs came on, I would be happy to listen to them without repeating. A lot of them I don't think I'm going to go back and um, seek out, but some of the ones that we talked about where I was like, oh, yeah, I've definitely heard this one, I would for sure go back and listen to again. Uh, Adam, why don't we go to you? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, what really sticks out to me on this album is the spread of, like, my favorite tracks mm-hmm. from it. Um, we've John, we have talked so many albums where, all right, we like, you know, the two that we really know or the two that we ended up even really liking are from, like, the first half. And then it's, like, literally it's a slog to get through the second half of the album. That was not the case here. I was thoroughly entertained through... Um, even the songs that weren't my favorites were very listenable. Um, but like the go daughter dissident river mirror and elderly woman, all of them spread throughout the album made this a super strong album for me. Um, and incredibly consistent all the way through love Eddie Vedder's voice. Um, I love the the sound that the band is pushing, um, there and the roller coaster flow of it, I think worked really well. This was a great pick. Yeah, I'd agree that it, it feels like an album, not a collection of songs. And I always really appreciate that. That's even maybe one of my things, uh, not against MP3s, but you know, you think if you're just downloading random songs, they don't really mm-hmm. come together. And I do really appreciate, uh, you know, even thinking of more, um, albums like the who's Tommy or Pink Floyd's the wall that are like a, an actual story and an album, the concept that would be like rock operas. But this one does feel like it's it's well thought out how the songs come together and the song, you know, there's there's reoccurring themes and 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 things like that. So I do really appreciate that. And it's an album that, yeah, if if I start listening to it, I'm gonna sit down and listen to the whole thing. I'm not gonna just pick a couple songs, which I do with a lot of albums. Yeah, you just I'll skip that one and I'll skip that one. You just listen to one, three, seven, and ten. This one you want to listen to the whole thing because I think it does really um hold together and i think it does really hold up after after so long um you know i mean pearl gem put out i don't know how many they've put out but they've put out a lot of good albums but i still think this um it's 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 my favorite and i think it's it's definitely one of their top uh, top albums and also does really encapsulate that front era very well that showing a sign of maturity which um which is why they're as far as i know they're the only classic grunge band that still tours and plays and all of that, you know, um, um, some of the other, you know, Alice fans from Nirvana Soundgarden. Um, I, I could be wrong if there's some of the other other ones that's still around, but uh, yeah, no, great, great album. And it was great uh, speaking with you both about it. Getting some good, uh, good comments and, and info and all. Yeah. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. This is, uh, this is good. We've now had all of our siblings on the yeah, podcast. All the siblings are done. Yeah, because so, I enjoyed the one with uh, my sister Siobhan. I um, I listened to that one not too long ago. That, that, she uh, did such a great job as well. Yeah. Like uh, she she knows her clueless. She knows her. <laughs> hey Arnold, it was a fun fun episode. Absolutely. All right, folks, that was our review of the album Verses by Pearl Jam. Please join us next time as we break down the 1989 film Weekend at Bernie's, discuss the 80s TV show Perfect Strangers and recast Weekend at Bernie's using Actors of Today. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.
Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get.